All right, Shabbos, say good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking, we have many sponsors for today's share, to thank all of them, to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Elul. Shane Dean Adam Kalman, in honor of Yechiel's engagement to Alana Falik, and a memory of their parents, Jerome and Bernice Kalman, and Alexandra and Frederica David. To thank Barak, Maya, and Sandy Hoffman, Dora Limos, and Avi Malamid, for dedicating the share in this month, in memory of... Ruven Ben Emanuel Zichron Levracha. To thank Ayala and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating the Shurim this month in the Sosava Rafur Shalema for Shulamis Bas Susha. To Dafyomi Shurim in the Sosava Rafur Shalema for Yehuda Ben Michal. Our week of learning sponsors, Louis Goldberg, thanking Hashem for the engagement of his grandson Ali Bogart, to Reviv Galaskov, daughter of Steve Galaskov, Mazeltov. To, to thank our week of learning sponsors, Joseph and Ellen Miller, Iris and Ed Miller, and family, Leslie and Adam, Rosen and family, Lezecher, Nishmas, Richard Berman. May the learning Emirates Hashem provide an aliyah for his neshama. To thank our day of learning sponsors, Ariel and Rachel Asapov, and Neshachar Rafushleimah for Irina Basbrilliant, who is undergoing surgery this morning. We hope that in the merit of our Tamatora, she will have a complete and enduring reform. With that, let us begin. So a lot to do today, a really, truly beautiful daf ahead of us this morning. We are picking up, today's daf is Ayin Bays 72. And we are picking up on Ayin Aleph Amad Bays 71b. If you see that there's a Mishnah, if you look, there's Tosas Kigon. Tosas Kigon, you go right across, and there's a Mishnah. And we are picking up, we are picking up two, four, six, seven lines, well, seven lines up from the Mishnah, at the two dots. So also remember again, the Mishnah was talking about the wife makes a nether, right? The way, the way we understood now the Mishnah is, the wife makes a nether not to put on perfume, and the husband confirms that nether, or, or I should say affirms that nether. Shabiyosi says, if she's a poor woman, if she's a poor woman, if the nether is just ongoing, then ultimately again he has to divorce her and give her a ksuba. Says the Gemara, become a kitzva. How much is the kitzva? In other words, that, that, the Gemara is asking is like this. For what duration is acceptable? In other words, what is the maximum duration that if she can make the nether without triggering the need for get and ksuba? To which the Gemara says, I mean, you well, you're based Chodesh, 12 months. Ten years. No, the maximum is a regal. Why? She came because it was customary again for the Jewish women to go ahead and put perfume on in honor of the regalim. Okay. But the Mishnah said, however, if she's a wealthy woman, the maximum duration of the nether is 30 days. So, why, why 30 days? Because it was the derech, it was the way of an isha chashuva, of an important woman to go ahead and perfume herself once every 30 days. Incredible. I will say now we come to a dramatically amazing Mishnah. Here we go. So we'll say, if a man makes a nether upon his wife, prohibiting her from going ahead and going to her father's home. So this is the nether he makes, right? This is the nether he makes. So we'll say, so once again, the, the topic, the theme is the same. 
which is what's the maximum amount of time that you can go ahead and impose these type of nidaram without triggering the need for divorce and ksuva. So the Gemara says, a man goes and makes a nadir, ultimately what? That his wife can't go to her father's home. So the Mishnah says, Bizman shu, ima bi'ir, if the father and daughter live in the same city, ultimately the Mishnah says, chodesh, chodesh echad yekayim, shnaim yotzi ksuva. If the nadir is for a duration of a month, fine, fine. If it's for more than a month, ultimately he triggers the need for Get and Ksuva. Obizman Shubi Irachar's father lives in a different city. Regal Echad Yekayim Shloshi Yotzi. Ultimately, again, if it's for one Regal, if it's for one Regal, fine, the marriage could continue. But for three, if it's three months, the Nedus for three months, he has to divorce her and give her her Ksuva. Okay, we'll talk more about that case in the Gemara. Hamadir's Ishto Shlatilich Labesa Evel, Olbesa Ava, Olbesa Mishnah. Let's say a man makes an end prohibiting his wife from going to a shiva house, a besa avel, or by the Kedoshimina Levaya, or the besa mishnah, or to a wedding celebration, yotzi v'yitin ksuva. Ultimately, again, he has to divorce her and immediately pay her ksuva. Why? Because he's closing the door in front of her. Okay, like I said, we'll see with Megimara exactly what this means. But if he said, no, I'm making this net that's prohibiting you from going to the Shiva home, or the Levaya, or the wedding celebration because of something else. In other words, he's saying, I have a reason why I don't want you to do this. Rashai. Then ultimately, again, he is permitted to make this net there. Husband says, Husband says that he's requiring her, right? Amanas literally means a condition, right? The condition, which sounds like he's saying that if you don't go ahead and I'll remain married to you on the condition that you tell so and so something specific. So go tell so and so what you told me. Oh, Masha, I'm married Or go tell so and so what I told you. Or if he tells her to fill up and to pour out into the garbage. Well, again, we'll see what that case means. In all of these cases, he has to divorce her and give her her ksuva. Again, what exactly those cases are, we'll discuss. Says the Gemara, Hagufakasha. So let's, let's focus on the first case in the Mishnah, where the husband is making the nether, precluding ultimately again his wife from going to her father's home. So the Gemara says as follows. So Hagufakasha. Amrit regal The first part of the Mishnah said, if he made a nether for one month, okay, the marriage could endure. If the nether is for two months, triggers ultimately again the need for divorce and ksuva. Right? Here's the other, but here's the problem. The second case of the Mishnah is shlosha ksuva. In the second case of the Mishnah said, this is where the father doesn't live in the same town. It says a maximum of, I'm sorry, if it's for one month. I'm sorry? Ultimately, again, in the, in the second part of the Mishnah, ultimately, again, it says that it says three, right? It says three, I'm sorry, 
But ultimately, again, for two, he could go ahead and maintain her as a wife. So which one is it? In other words, the cash is on two. So I'm going to buy it. No, no, no. The Seifa is talking about a Kohanes. So this goes back to the last Sugyal. Because in the last Sugyal, we spoke about the idea that we give a Kohanes. In these type of Nidharim situations, we give a Kohanic family a bit more time to work things out. Why? Because again, in the event of divorce, can't go ahead and remarry her. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Huda Amar, Rabbi Huda, I'm sorry, Rabbi Huda, sorry, Seifa Asana Kohanes, Rabbi Huda, and I'm say, this is Rabbi Huda sheet in the previous Sugya, that we give a Kohanes, we give a Kohanes, ultimately, again, a longer duration to go ahead and work this through. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Huda Amar Lo Kasha, Kan Beredufa, Kan Beshein Redufa. So what's is very interesting. He says, he says that Halacha Lamaisa, Halacha Lamaisa, it's talking about two different women. One is talking about a woman who often goes to her father's home. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Redufa, Lelech lebeis abia tamid, Shnayim yotzi, She'ina redufa, Shnayim yekayim. Or I should say differently. Lelech lebeis abia tamid, Shnayim yotzi, She'ina redufa, Shnayim yekayim. So we'll say, interesting, Ula says, Rabbi Bar Ula says, it also depends on the frequency in which she goes to her father's home. So one is talking about a woman who goes to her father's home quite frequently, and one is talking about the case of where she goes to her father's home more infrequently. Good. So what's the Gemara just throws in a little bit of Agarata over, not throws in, adds in a little bit of Agarata over here, talking about the dynamic of a girl going to her father's home. As hayisi be'enav kimotzeis shalom. So what's the Gemara quotes over here, the Pasuk and Shira Shirim, that then I will be in his eyes as one who finds peace. So I'm Rabbi Yochanan Kekalo, Shenim says, Shlema Bebeis Chameha, or Redufa Lelech Lehagid Shvacha Beis Aviyah. So Bosei, the Pasuk is describing so beautifully a Kala, who is beloved even in the eyes of her in-laws, and she runs home to tell her own parents that she has found favor in the eyes of her in-laws. So Bosei, another beautiful Pasuk from Hoshea. It will be on that day, it will be on that day, that we will be called Ishi, the particularly old Bali. I will call Hashem Ishi, my husband, and not Bali. Now, I will say Ishi and Bali both go ahead and translate as husband. But Ishi, Rashi points out over here, Lashon Ishus and Nisun is a closer Lashon. Is a closer Lashon than Baal. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yochanan, Kekala Bebeis Chameha, Velo Kekala Bebeis Aviha. That ultimately the relationship with Klai Yisrael between Hashem will be like a Kala. In her father-in-law's home, and not a fa- kala in her father's home. We'll say, what's the distinction? So remember again, a kala lives in her father's home during erusin, right? She lives in her father-in-law's home after nisuin. So the gemara is describing it was customary for a couple often to live with the in-laws after they first got married. So we'll say, in other words, with the husband's parents after they first got married. So we'll say, I'll say something beautiful. So the gemara says, which is such a beautiful dynamic. That'll be by Yomahu, right? On that day, on that day, that day often refers to the messianic redemption. The relationship with Hashem will change from one, from one ultimately again of a of a kala living in her father's home, separate from her husband, ultimately again to a kala living in her father-in-law's home together with her husband. Beautiful. Hamadir Sishtok. So I'll say, so remember again, the next case in the Mishnah was the Halokh Alamaisa. Um, if a man made a nether prohibiting his wife from going to a house of mourning, a base of Elevaya, and a base Hamishta, a wedding celebration, says the Gimara, Bishlama. So remember again, in that case, the Mishnah says that triggers that triggers divorce and ksuva, unless, of course, what? 
he says, Mitnei davar acher. In other words, the husband has a reason for doing so. So what's the pshat? Bishlom lebeis ha-mishteh. I understand, ultimately, again, the Bible says incredible Gemara. I understand why, if a husband makes a nadar, prohibiting his wife from going to a wedding celebration, that triggers the need for immediate divorce and ksuba. Why? The Gemara says, because Rabbi said, listen to this, he's closing the door in front of her. And Rabbi said, this is such an interesting thing. So going ahead and prohibiting one's wife from attending a wedding celebration is such a severe thing that it triggers, it triggers the need for divorce and ksuba, getting ksuba. Why? The Gemara says, Noel Bifana is closing the door in front of her. What door is he closing? Look at the top, Rashi, Ayin Bezim and Aleph. Delas shall simcha upikuach tsar. So we'll say, what is he closing off to her? Because going to a wedding is a form of celebration. A person gets to celebrate. But I will say, this lashon over here, pikuach tsar. What does pikuach tsar mean? Pikuach tsar means the removal of difficulty. See, I will say, it's fascinating. There are two things that happen when you go to a simcha. Number one, you could enjoy. And number two, what else can happen? You forget your problems. At least for a little bit of time. At least for a little bit of time. You forget your problems. I will say, it's such an incredible yisod. See, there's these two dimensions to simcha. There's the ability to feel a sense of joy. And then there's the ability to be somewhere where you could forget about your own stuff for just a little bit of time. And that is such a necessary thing in life. The ability to enjoy life, but at the same time, the ability to forget about the difficulties just for a little bit. So a husband says to his wife that you cannot attend the chasna, you can't attend simchas, ultimately he's depriving her of that basic need. And that deprivation of that basic need makes the marriage unsustainable. Incredible. What's the problem with preventing her from going to a shiva house or going to a levaya? Right? In other words, my God, it might not be like a normal thing to make your wife make an edram, but why does that cause dissolution of the marriage? To which the Gemara says, Tana, because here's the problem. So what's going to be the problem? Tomorrow, let's say tomorrow if the wife dies, no one is going to come to eulogize her. Our others say that ultimately she's going to die tomorrow and no one's going to bury her. The Gemara says, listen to this. The Gemara says, very simple. What does this mean? We both say perhaps one of the most profound psukim in all of Tanakh. It is better to go to a house of mourning than it is to go to a house of celebration. For this is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. So what does it mean that the living will take it to heart? So we'll say, by the way, what's Pashapshat? What's Pashapshat? Pashapshat is that we go through life thinking that life is an infinite renewable resource. And so there's no urgency to accomplish, right? We kick the proverbial can down the road all of the time. So we'll say there is no greater Musra to show us that that is incorrect than going to a Leviah. A Leviah is a stark reminder that life is a finite, non-renewable resource. And the end comes for all. So if there's something you have to accomplish, accomplish it today. We'll say, I always say, if you want to know, I think, the greatest Musa, the greatest Musa that exists in this world, it's not words. It's not words. You know what it is? It's a sound. 
And what's the sound, the greatest sound that awakens every single heart? It's the sound of the first shovel full of earth hitting the aron, hitting the casket. That's the sound. That's the sound of finitude, right? That is the sound of finiteness. That is the sound, I will say that, it's over, right? When, when, when you hear that, like, it's like, 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 right? When there's a race, like the, 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 they shoot the gun, like that, that's the beginning. That sound of that first shovel full of earth hitting, hitting the aron, it's done. It's done. It's done. There's no, there's no do-overs. There's no this. And that sound comes for every single person. I don't say this in a morose way, I will say, because death is a part of life. But I say it in a way that like, we, we just, we live, we live just sometimes without an urgency, without an intensity. Oh, I like to be laid back. No one should be laid back. There's so much to accomplish and there's so little time to accomplish it. And we don't even know how much time we have in this earth. So Shalom Aleph says, go to the Levaya. Go, go. But the Gemara gives a different pshat. The Gemara says, what does it mean, v'achayitin alibo? Tvarim shalmisa. It means, it also teaches us, chayitin alibo, take to heart aspects of death. To teach us, if you eulogize others, people will eulogize you. If you bury others, people will bury you. If you help to carry the iron of other people, they will actually, Rashi says over here, the yodel means not to, lift, not to lift with your body, but rather to lift your voice. If you cry over others, others will cry over you. If you go out and you, you go to the Levai, you accompany the dead, accompany the Aron, right? Go follow the Aron. Others will follow you. If you go out and you carry the casket, others will carry you. So the point that Gemara is making over here is there is a utilitarian aspect to going ahead and attending the Levaya, which is, if you attend the Levayas of others, then what? When it's your time, others will come to help out at your Levaya. So therefore, again, coming full circle, if a husband makes a nadir prohibiting his wife from going to the Levaya, she, she says to him, you're cutting me off. You're cutting me off from making sure that there's someone to look after me when I'm dead, when I die, and my Levaya needs to be attended to. In other words, which is an incredible, incredible yisod. If you do not go ahead and help out others in their time of need, there will not be others to help your family out in your time of need. So that's why, again, if she goes ahead, if he goes ahead and makes this nether, preventing him from, preventing him from going to Levaya, grounds for divorce, and a ksuba. Incredible. However, if the husband says, no, 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 I'm making this nether, I'm making this nether, I have a reason for it. So ultimately, again, then they don't have to get divorced. So the Gemara says, my davra acher, what, what does that mean? Like, what's the davra acher that you're referring to? I'm Rabbi Hudam Shmuel, Mishum Bnei Adam Prutzim Shemetsuyin Sham. Ultimately what? I will say, ultimately what? Because of immoral people. Immoral people who are going to be at these places. So the point over here is, he says to her, I don't want you going to these places. Now I will say, here, here's what's interesting. What's interesting is that, what's interesting is that, I understand that maybe by a wedding celebration, you know, sometimes there are people acting appropriately. So apparently even by a levaya, even by a levaya, right? There could be people ultimately, again, who act inappropriately as well. So if he says, I don't want you going to these places, because there are immoral people, then fine, the Gemara says, however, however, Amravashi, 
This is only true if you know with certainty that these immoral people frequent these events. But I will say, ultimately, again, if it's, not, if it's not established that these inappropriate people will be there, he doesn't have a right to restrict her mobility to attend these occasions. So I will say, so remember again, next case in Mishnah. He says to her, right, we're going to remain married on the condition that you go ahead and... Tell so and so what I told you, or tell so and so what you told me. So if right, the Gemara let her just go, let her say it. What's the big deal? Just tell over whatever, whatever she's being asked to tell. We're talking about matters of degradation. Now, say the idea over here is he's telling her to disclose certain intimate details, either that she told him or that he told her, and a woman is not obligated to debase herself like that in order to maintain her marriage. Therefore, if this is the kind of marriage, this is the kind of guy, Chazal said, divorce her, give her mm-hmm. her ksuba. So I says, remember again, last case in the Mishnah was, husband tells the wife to go ahead and fill up and pour out into the garbage dump. So the Gemara says, okay, it sounds strange, but viti ave. So let her, let her just do it. In other words, again, it sounds strange, but if that's, if that's what's necessary, What's the, why cause the dissolution of the marriage over this? Twitching around says, no, no, no. I'm it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. What he's telling her is that after the act of relations, I want you to do whatever you have to do not to become pregnant. That's the metaphor for filling up and then pouring out. So what he's telling her is, look, I don't want to have kids. I don't want to have kids. Right? So the Maisa, after the act of relations, again, we've seen this again, lifting up, like whatever it is, right? Ultimately, again, do what you have to do not to become pregnant. So in the Bryce, we learned that she should fill up 10 pitchers of water and ultimately pour it out. According to Shmuel, I understand ultimately why he has to divorce her, why he has to divorce her. But according to Rose, if it's literal, fill up 10 pitchers of water and pour it out. So let just let her, as strange as it sounds, just do it and maintain the marriage. Ultimately, because she looks like a shote, it just looks like foolish behavior. And if a husband does something, ultimately, to make his wife feel or appear foolish, ultimately, and say this, by the way, is also such an incredible musr. That even sometimes, you know, couples joke around. Couples joke around. And it's so important to be careful about making jokes at your wife's expense. Because sometimes a husband unwittingly, unwittingly, makes his wife appear foolish. Right? And again, sometimes a husband has a thicker skin than the wife does. Have to be very careful with that. We already seen Gemara. How careful a husband has to be with the feelings of his wife. So I will say. So the point over here is we have two things happening. One, one, one opinion. Shmuel holds that this whole idea of filling up and pouring out is a metaphor. Is a metaphor for the husband going in and telling his wife, "I don't want you to become pregnant." Look at Rashi. It's the first. It's the first short line in Rashi. So he tells her after after the act of relations, right? Move your legs around, jump, jump up and down, so that ultimately again the zera will not take root and you won't become pregnant. The Brisa seems to indicate that halacha No, he's asking her to engage in foolish behavior. So he's asking her to make herself look like a fool in order to maintain the marriage. Either way, the Gemara says not acceptable. 
So the Gemara says, So we'll say, by the way, I'll just point out, I'll just point out, this, what's interesting about this is as follows. Even though a woman is not, even though a woman is not obligated in period of Arivia, we just saw this before, right? A woman is not obligated to have children. So if the husband says, listen, I don't want to have kids. I don't want to have kids. After we have relations, I'm asking you to do whatever you have to do not to become pregnant. So I say, even though she doesn't have a mitzvah pair of Arivia, A, having children is a natural actualization of her internal maternal instinct. That's number one. Number two, having children is also has a utilitarian benefit, namely that I have someone to take care of me, hopefully when I get older. So depriving her of that, even though she doesn't have a mitzvah, depriving her of that basic, of that basic opportunity is grounds for dissolution of the marriage. So the Gemara says as follows, Fine, so the Gemara says, Vaiter, Amrav Kana, very interesting case, Hamadir is Ishto, Shalotishal, Vishalotashil, Nafa Vekavarei Chaim Vitanar, Yotzevi Ting Suba, Shemas Shemasia Shem Rabish Chenosas. What's the interesting case? Let's say a man makes a nether and he tells his wife as follows I'm making a nether, you are not permitted to go ahead and borrow any utensils from our neighbors, nor can you lend anyone Nafa Kavra Vrechaim, a sifter, a sieve, or a grinding stone, or an oven. So in all these cases, if he makes this nether, the Allah is Yotzi Vitink Suva. He has to divorce her, give her a ksuva. Why? Because they're both saying, He's going to make her have a bad reputation by the neighbors. Part of neighborly relations is a willingness to lend stuff, right? And in return, borrow stuff, right? So if you're the kind of person when the neighbor knocks on your door, says, could I have a cup of sugar, right? And you say, no, right? No, right? So that, that just spoils your entire reputation, right? So, so therefore, again... I will say, so again, this falls into the same theme that if the husband asks the wife to do things or makes a nether, requiring her to do certain things that are going to just fundamentally undermine her reputation, it's not a sustainable marriage. And in those cases, therefore, Yotiv think suva. Shilgimari goes, I to Tayin, Amyachi, Hamadirus, Isha Shlotishal, Vishlotashal, Nafa, Vikavare, Chaim, Vitanur, Yotiv think suva. So similar idea, Bosa writes that supports us, a man makes a nether that his wife can't borrow, nor could she lend out Nafa, Kabare, Chaim, Tanur, Yotiv think suva. He has to divorce her, give her her ksuva. Because he's going to make for a bad reputation amongst the neighbors. So we'll say similarly, if she makes the nether, she makes the nether, then I'm not going to borrow anything. I'm not going to lend out the sifter, the sieve, the mill, the oven. Or she makes a nether. I'm not going to make my children nice clothing. What's the halacha? Here's the difference. See, when he's the one making this nether and imposing this upon her, there's an obligation to dissolve the marriage and he's obligated to pay the ksuba. If she is the one making this type of nether that undermines her reputation, and now she's also saying, I'm not going to make nice clothing for my children. In this case, he has a right to go ahead and divorce her and doesn't have to pay the ksuba. Ultimately, again, because she, he is creating, or she is creating, excuse me, a bad name for herself with the neighbors. Good. That's the end of the surya. Watch this Mishnah. So we'll say, up until now, what we've been dealing with is what? Are situations where, where a neder triggers a divorce obligation. But remember, again, who's making the nedarim up until now? It's the husband. The husband's making the neder. 
creates unfair circumstances which really prevent the normative marriage from progressing. So what do we say? Then Abbasi was switching gears a little bit. Now we're switching to cases where, where divorce is mandated, but there's no ksuva. Here we go. So Abbasi, here are cases where if a woman exhibits certain behavior, ultimately a husband is obligated to divorce her, and there's no ksuva. Number one, Ha'overes al-das Moshe. So we'll say Das Moshe is Torah. Torah. If a woman goes ahead and exhibits behavior that runs against contrary to Torah law, that is grounds for divorce and loss of aksuba. Or, Overall Das Moshe the Yehudis. Now we'll say Das Yehudis is something incredible. What's Das Yehudis? Look at Rashi. Das Yehudis. Shenog upenos Yisrael ve'afagav lo ksiva. Now we'll say Das Yehudis means normative Jewish behavior. Now, what's normative Jewish behavior? So what's fascinating about this is this, this will be subjective. This will be subjective and will depend on community to community. In other words, certain communities have certain behaviors that are common behaviors in accordance with their, their, their Jewish practice. If a woman, if a woman flouts these practices and decides ultimately again that she does not want to be bound by them, then ultimately again grounds for divorce and no ksuva. And here we go. Ve'ezi das Moshe. What's das Moshe? Ma'chiloso she'ena mu'usar u'meshamash donida v'lo kotsu l'chala v'no deres ve'ena mekayimah. So we'll say, what are some examples of a woman who goes ahead and violates biblical law? So some examples of it are, number one, she ultimately, again, she doesn't tithe the food that she gives the husband, right? She doesn't observe the halakos of taras ha'mishpacha. So ultimately, again, she's having relations with her husband while, he's in, while she's in nida. V'lo kotsu l'chala. She doesn't separate chala from the dough. She makes nadarim, and she does not uphold those nadarim. So we'll say these are all the examples of biblical law, what we call das Moshe. What's das Yehudis? So yotza v'rosha parua. A woman goes out with her hair uncovered. Vitava bashuk. Right, she weaves in the marketplace. Now again, we'll, we'll have to see exactly what that means. Umidaberes and kol adam, and she speaks. With every single man. So we'll say, so you begin to see that the, the common theme amongst these things seems to be modesty, or in these cases, immodesty, right? Immodesty. She's going out with uncovered hair, she's weaving in the marketplace, she speaks with all men. So again, this is what we'll say, what we call Das Yehudis. Abishalom Abishal says, Af Yoldov Bifanov. Interesting one. What's, what's a violation of Das Yehudis? A woman who curses her in-laws in front of her husband. It's a tough one. That's a tough one, right? So I'll say so again. We'll talk about that more. So, right, so ultimately, a woman who curses her, her in-laws in front of her husband, right? Now, kolonis is a woman who raises her voice. So again, we'll define what this means. What's, what does it mean a kolonis? It's a case ultimately where what? When she's speaking in her home, ultimately the neighbors can hear her. The neighbors can hear her. Okay, we'll say, we'll discuss what exactly that's referring to as well. Let's look at the Gemara. So we'll say, a really, we'll say, I just, I'll just point out, by the way, this, this well, we're, we're going to get into this, but again, these categories of Das Moshe and Das Yehudis are quite amazing. So Das Moshe, again, biblical law, Das Yehudis, accepted 
normative Jewish standards. So let's go through this. Remember again, the examples of Das, das Moshe, is for example, where she's transgressing biblical law and causing her husband to transgress biblical law along with her. So what the first example was, she's feeding him, she's feeding him food, and she's feeding him food that is not tithed. So it says the Gemara, hey, what's the case? What's the case? If he knows that it's not tied, then what? Right? Nifrosh. So don't eat it. Don't eat it. And if he doesn't know, how does he know? In other words, we'll say, what's the case over here? In other words, if he knows that it's not tied, then she, he's not, not going to eat it. If he doesn't know that it's not tied, then what? Sometimes what you don't know, you just don't know. So what's the case? No, no, where she says to him, listen, he writes, she says to him, or let's say, in general, a person doesn't have to ask his wife, you know, is, is dinner kosher tonight, right? You're not obligated to do that. Right? So what's the case? The case is where she said to him, by the way, I took the produce to the Kohen, and the Kohen went ahead and tied the produce for me. He sees the Kohen in Shul. He says, Kohen, thank you so much for tithing the produce. And the Kohen says, which produce? Right, so it turns out that she liked him. He finds out that she lied, that she did not tithe the produce. So we'll say in that case, it becomes clear that she's violating biblical law. And she has relations with him when she's a nida. So the Gemara says again, what's the case? If he knows that she's a nida, then she should, he should not have relations with her. If he does not know, we'll say ultimately again, a husband always depends on his wife when it comes to the In other words, both say, a husband has no obligation of independent corroboration of his wife's status. If a woman says that ultimately, again, she's not a nida, right? She's, that she, she's taking care of this. So, halacha, my husband has no obligation. After all, the Gemara says, From where do I know that a nida, she counts her days on her own? She, husband has no obligation to oversee her nida process, right? Ultimately, she is in charge of that and she could count for herself. She doesn't, how do I know that? So the Gemara says, listen to Shinamar, the Safra la shivas yamim, la liatsma. Pasik says she shall count seven days. She shall count for herself. Notice tells us the count is for her. The husband has no obligation to oversee that count. Shabbos says, so if that's the case, so what's, what's, what's the case of where they're transgressing Hilchos Nida? To which Mars Lotzicha da Amrale, Ploni Chacham Tirli Esadam. So I'll say, what's the case? The case is where she said, I had a Shiloh, right? On a Badika cloth, or a Shiloh, and I asked, so and so Rav, right? The husband happens to see that Rav, and he says, Thank you so much for taking care of our Tarasa Mishpacha Shilohs. The Rav says, who are you? Right? Who, who, who are you? Right? So it turns out that she lied. That she lied. And ultimately it turned out that she lied. Okay. So we're talking about a case of a woman who is that she is a nida. Now, what does it mean she's established that she's a nida in her neighborhood? Look at Rashi. Shira'uha lovesha's big day nidos, or the baila amra tahora ani vishimsha. So I will say, we saw this before, that it was customary often for women to wear different clothing during their yemei nidos, when she was a nida. So therefore, the case over here, she was wearing her nida clothing, so to speak, but she tells her husband that, no, no, I just forgot to change my clothing, I'm really tahora. 
And it turns out they have relations. And it turns out that she lied, that she was really a nida. So both say, these are all examples, ultimately, again, of, of das, das, das Moshe. Right? Das Moshe. Situations where ultimately, again, she is in violation of biblical law. Similarly, again, she doesn't separate Achala. What's the case? So if he knows ultimately, again, that Chala hasn't been separated, then separate. Separate yourself. Right? Or separate from the food. And if you don't know, you don't know. Same thing I will say. She says, she says to her husband, oh, you know the baker. The baker went ahead. He took care of the dough for me. Va'azel shyly, and again, the husband bakes, walks, bumps into the baker. Thank you so much for taking care of the dough. he says, "Who are you?" And it turns out ultimately again that she was lying. So I'll say all cases where the woman is willfully violating biblical law and lying about it to her husband. I know that's what I said. So I'll say there's no marriage like this. There's no marriage, which is which is an interesting. I'll say in other words, you could have a marriage of spouses on different religious levels. You could have a marriage like that where there is a sense of mutual respect and some, and some level of collaboration. That, that, that could work. The problem that's happening over here in this case is there's two different levels of religious observance and there's lying about it. And the problem is the lying about it undermines the husband's observance as well. So the Gemara says there's no marriage in a case like this. You can't, you can't in general, by the way, it's not just in religion. You could have spouses in different spaces, right? You could in different, different places in life. You can have it as long as there is a spirit of collaboration and mutual respect. In this case, when you're lying, when she's lying to her husband about religion, not going to work. It's not going to work. Next case, no daris feeling the kaim. Well, this is an interesting one. So if she makes nedarim and she does not uphold those nedarim, ultimately grounds for divorce. And no ksuba, we'll say, no ksuba. So Mar says, why is that? Damar this is incredible. Because we'll say ultimately again in the sin, for the sin of making the dharm and not fulfilling your dharm, chas and shalom, a person's children pass away. Do not allow your mouth to cause your flesh to sin. And we'll say ultimately again, what are the ultimate, what, what are the ultimate peros, right? The ultimate creations of one's, of one's hand. Havi Omer, Zebanov, Ubenosov. This refers ultimately again to one's children. To one's children. So I'll say, the Pasuk says, for nothing, I have stricken down your children. Ultimately again, because you did not uphold your word, right? Because you allowed your word, your nedarm to be taken in vain, Ultimately, your children are lost. Tanya, Rimeir, Omer, Shabbosai, Shabbosai, by the way, I'll just point out, it's pretty amazing, it's pretty amazing, the intensity. So the Gemara literally says over here, if a person makes nidarim and does not uphold their nidarim, children die because of this Avera. Shabbosai, I'll tell you something amazing. In the, in, in the, in this, in the Sefer Gurari, the Maharal says something absolutely amazing. The Maharal says, what, what's the pshat with this? In other words, what's the correlation between not fulfilling the darim and that resulting in the loss of children? So the Maharal says something, as well, listen to this quote. He says, My words are my offspring. Right? I birth my words into this world. Therefore, he says, So therefore, I will say, 
if the verbal offspring that I birth into this world never take form, so I promise I'm going to do something, I make commitments I'm going to do something, and the, the, the birth, the birth, it's almost like it becomes a nafel, right? I birth words into this world. Words are great, but now I birth the words. The words only have keel. The words are only sustained if what? If they're followed up by action. But if the words are just words, and ultimately, again, they never turn into action, then it's almost as if what? My words have been miscarried, right? I miscarry my dibor. The dibor miscarried. The pregnancy ends, right? The, the words are birthed, but ultimately, again, the actions are what allow the birth to be sustained. So the Ramah says it's a, it's a it's a it's a reciprocal punishment, right? It's a, it's reciprocal punishment. In other words, so my words were miscarried, so to speak, never turned into action. Rahman of Litzlan, a person loses their children for that same avera. I will say it's it's a profound idea and tells us how careful we have to be that when you birth words into this world. Make sure that those birthed words turn into action. Make sure those words are not miscarried. Such an incredible yisod. Plus, I think there's also another piece to it, which is as follows. Sometimes doesn't have to literally mean children die. But rather, what does it mean? What does it mean? It means that their growth is stunted. Their growth is stunted. Sometimes the worst parental mistake we make is we don't carry through on the commitments we make to our children. And we'll say, wh- whether, that's, whether that's simple commitments, like promises to be home, or promises to be somewhere, or promises to do something, and we don't come through, it creates that sense of disillusionment, and it can create a certain sense of even abandonment. But even on a more global level, I will say, one of the most important lessons that we could teach our children is ultimately follow through. Follow through. You make a commitment to something in life, follow through on it. You promise to be somewhere, you promise to do something, you promise to accomplish something, you promise to go ahead and you have some life goal, dream, or aspiration, follow through. Because if my children see me, and I'm the kind of guy who talks a lot, and makes a lot of promises and a lot of commitments, but does not follow through on that, ba'avon nidarim banim mason, I am stunting the growth of my children. And I'm teaching them to follow my example, be the same kind of adult who makes commitments, but doesn't follow through on those commitments. To lead by by that type of example is ultimately, again, stunting my children's growth, causing misa in a certain sense. So the Gemara goes weiter. So the Gemara says, Tanya Rameir Omer, we'll say second wide line, any man who knows that his wife makes nedarim, and doesn't uphold those nedarim. And I both said, this is, a very, this is a very scary thing. So now we've seen that the penalty for making nedarim and not following through is quite intense. So what if a husband knows, Ruvay knows that Rachel is always making nedarim and not following through. So what should he do? Yachzer biyadirena. He should go out and make another nedar for her. Right? Cause her to make her nedar again. What? Yadirena b'may. So the yadirena b'may metakim la. How does getting her to make more nedarim help her out? Ella, I will say, watch this. This is incredible. Yachzer v'yakni tena k'deisha tidar b'fanav v'yaferla. So I will say, this is very interesting. So what should he do? So apparently in this case, right, Rachel makes nedarim when she's upset for different... So he should provoke her. And I will say, again, Many times the Gemara offers us good advice, right? Don't, don't provoke. Don't never provoke. Rose says, so the Gemara says, so provoke her, let her make nidarim in his presence. Now, both sides, 
What's the godless of her making the dharma in his presence? What's the godless? If he hears about it, he can nullify it. Now, don't tell her you nullified it, right? Let her think that she made Nidharim. But at least when you heard it, at least when you heard it, you know that you nullified it. So at least the halachic severity has been removed. Amrulo, he said to Rabbi Mary, it's not a life. Ain't adam dar in fifa. So I will say, this is a Talmudic expression, you can't live with a snake in a basket. In other words, that I will say, as much as it's nice to say snake, you stay on that side of the basket, I'll stay on my side of the basket, shalom al-Yisrael. In other words, I will say, you can't live in a state of unpredictability, which is such an incredible yisod. In other words, that you can't build a life with, I will say this goes both ways. Again, here we're talking about a wife who is an Adronis, but the same applies to the man as well. Right? Lamais, you can't live light in the basket with a snake. In order to build a relationship, there has to be some level of stability, some level of predictability. But again, if there's this constant state of unpredictability, what is right? Because the snake, the snake might go here, it might go there, can't live like that. Omer, Ishto, I will say, any man who knows that his wife does not remove chala from the dough. In other words, let's say, I will say, she doesn't remove chala, she doesn't take trumas and maestras. It's okay, it's not a big deal. What should you do? So the Gemara says, Yachsar v'yifro shacharel. So you do it. You do it. After she gives you the dough, after she gives you the chala, you remove a piece of chala, you remove some trumas and maestras. Amrulo, ain't under dar nachash fifa. You can't live with a snake in a basket. So the Gemara says, well, meaning, meaning what? Meaning what? Did halacha l'maestra will say, again, for a marriage to work, there has to be some level of stability, predictability, and mutual respect. Right? If at the end of the day, right, at the end of the day, you constantly have to do these things that the other spouse is not doing, it's just, it's not going to work. So the Gemara says, Man demasni lo'aho, kol The one who said, I will say about the first case, only says about the second. Man demasni but in the case of Chalo, Zimnin de Nikrivacha. The case of Chalo is a bit more complicated. Why is, it, why is the case of Chalo a bit more complicated? Because the person is always eating bread. Right? So if every single time I have to remember to separate out Chalo, again, chances are one time I'm going to forget. So, both sides, so really just, you see, by the way, I just want to point out, so the Mishnah is saying, a woman doesn't separate out Chalo, a woman's constantly making the Darin, ultimately, again, that's grounds for divorce without Exuvi. You can't live like that. You have these other opinions that are saying, no, 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 find a way to navigate, right? Provoke her, make her make an adharm in your presence, and then ultimately annul them. Or you separate the challah from the dough, to which the Gemara says, you don't understand, when a husband and wife are not on the same page about certain pivotal things, like nidharm, like halacha, like religion, there's no marriage. Now again, Abosai, like I said before, could a couple create a marriage when they're not on the same page, even about nidharm, or even about religion? And the answer is, Yes, as long as what? As long as what? There's a mutual respect and sense of collaboration. You could build a happy, healthy marriage with two people who are on really different pages about a lot of different things in life, as long as, again, there is a spirit of respect and collaboration. If it's not there, so the Gemara is saying over here, if you know, husband's going to be sneaking challah, you know, when is, I don't mean sneaking challah like eating challah, I mean sneaking like, like taking challah when it's right, so can't have a marriage like that. Or he's going to have to provoke her to make it dirt. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. That's not a marriage. That's not a life. That's not a partnership. So the Gemara goes weiter. So ve'ezi das yudis. Rabbi says, now let's transition. Das yudis. Rabbi says, what was das? So that was all up till now. That was all das Moshe, biblical law. What's das yudis? Ve'ezi das yudis. Yotzev rosh haparos. So we'll say an example of, of, of das yudis is apparently hair covering. Right, the woman goes out with uncovered hair, with uncovered hair, that's a violation of Dasyudis. Says the Gemara, Rosha Parua, 
Covering hair is not das yodis, right? The woman going out with uncovered hair, I will say, is a biblical violation. upara es rosha isha. I will say it's fascinating. Where do we learn out that there is an obligation for a married woman to cover her hair? Where, where does this come from? So I will say, fascinatingly enough, there's no mitzvah say that a married woman has to cover her hair. Instead, what is there? Ultimately, again, there is a din of sota. And the din of Sota comes along and says that she is obligated, we uncover her hair. The fact that we're uncovering the hair of the Isha Sota indicates to us that halacha a married woman has her hair covered. The Tanit Rebbe said, why the Torah seeks to go ahead and teach us about the obligation of hair covering, ultimately from such a situation, or from, is an interesting, but not for now. So we'll say this teaches us that there is a biblical obligation for a woman to cover her hair. So why, so we'll say, if a woman goes out with uncovered hair, this is not a violation of Das Yehudis, this is a violation of Das Moshe. So what's going on over here? To which the Gemara Sa'amadeh will say, Kalsa Shapir Dami. Ultimately, again, the Gemara Sa'amadeh will say, so I'm sorry, Kalsa Shapir Dami. So listen to this. Kalsa, Kalsa is a basket. If a woman wears a head, a basket on her head, and I will say, what type of basket? This was dafka, a head basket. Look at Ashi. Tap Ashi and Beis and Beis. Sol she yesh lo milamata beis kibul lo lo holama berosh. Or beis kibul milamala lo says bal plach bepishtan. So this is interesting. So apparently, this basket had right the word on your head and it had a receptacle on top. And what did you put on the receptacle on top? Your stuff. Your keys, your cell phone, your wallet, right? In other words, again, the Talmudic equivalent, right? Your needle, your thread, your this, your that. You put your stuff on top. So I will say, so ultimately, again, here's what's interesting. Das Moshe, which is the Dorai. So Das Moshe, a woman has to cover. Midoraisa, a woman has the obligation to cover her hair. But Midoraisa, the basket is enough. The basket is enough. Das Yehudis, how do I say? Das Yehudis means what? So I will say, Das Yehudis is... But when it comes to normative accepted behaviors, a basket is not enough of a head covering. So said, this is incredible. So So if you think about it, by the way, the, what does the basket allow for? So first of all, if it's a basket, it also means it has some slats. So maybe you can see some of the hair through the slats. It might also be that some of her hair hangs down. So said, a head covering that allows for some hair visibility is going to be mutter. Das Yehudis says that no, a basket is not enough of a covering. She needs something that covers more. Now, both sides, what's interesting about this discussion is no one's telling us how much, right? All I'm being told is Das Moshe, Midaraisa, the basket is enough. Das Yehudis requires a more intense or more involved hair covering. So the Gemara says, I'm Rabbi Asi, I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Kalsa, Mishum Pararosh. So ultimately, the last is the name of Yochanan. The basket, if she wears the basket, that's enough to say that her hair is covered. In other words, if she goes out with the basket, that's not tantamount to going out with uncovered hair. Habibah Rabbi Zera, Hecha. What do you mean? We're, we just said before, that's not true. We just said before that the basket works for Das Moshe, but the basket doesn't work for Das Yehudis. So where is she going out? Where is she going out? Ilema Bashuk. If she's going out to the marketplace, Das Yehudisi. Shall I say, ultimately, again, if she's going out to the Shuk, then Das Yehudis, right? Das Yehudis requires that what? She goes out with a more, a more significant covering than the basket. The Elab Maybe it's in her own Chatzar. In her Chatzar, you're telling me that a woman has to cover her hair in her own home? 
Imkain lohenachta bas di Avram Avinu sheosheves tachas baila. If that's case, Rabbi say essentially you've allowed no daughter of Avram to remain with her husband. In other words, Rabbi say we always take it for granted that a woman doesn't have to cover her hair in her own home. Right? So now you're telling me what the kalsa is enough in her own home in her own chaser. To which the Gemara Very interesting. We mean when she goes from one chaser to another chaser and say, remember again from our Erevin days? Remember how, how domiciles was set up? You had multiple homes that opened up into a shared courtyard, right? Multiple courtyards that opened up into a shared mavoy, an alleyway. So what are we talking about? If she wants to go from one chaser to another chaser, right, through a mavoy. In that case, she's kind of going in public, but not fully going in public. Maybe, so, so again, in that case, Rabbi Asi says that ultimately it's enough for her to wear her basket. Okay, Shabbosai. So I just want to point out, this sugya, we are definitely not doing it justice today because this is such an important sugya in contemporary halakha. But here is what we have. Das Moshe, da a woman is obligated to go ahead and cover her hair. It appears that based on Das Moshe, what does she need to fulfill that obligation? What does she need? Kalsa, the basket. What does that mean exactly? Here's what I know it means. I know that it means not a complete hair covering, right? Some type of covering that maybe doesn't cover everything. Comes along Das Yehudis, and Das Yehudis says, no, 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 a Jewish woman needs, just Jewish women benoeg to cover their hair in a more, we'll call it, expansive fashion, a more complete fashion. But again, what don't I know? I still don't know what that means, right? How much more covering? What is being covered? Is there any part that can be left uncovered? So again, we're actually not finished. This sugi is going to come up again, but here's what we know. That for either violation of Das Moshe or Das Yehudis, ultimately that's grounds for divorce without a ksuba. Incredible. What's another example? If she speaks with all men. I'm going to be with I'm sorry, I skipped, I skipped. Vitava Bishok, she weaves in the marketplace. So I'll say, what, what does that mean? It's talking about a case of say, this goes back to the Choma story, right? Remember again that what happens when she's weaving, sometimes her, her, her dress rolls up and you could see her arms. And I was seeing her arms in a, in a way that was not normally, that wasn't, so we'll say, <laughs> we live in such a highly sexualized society. They didn't see your arms. See your arms, it's like, a, it's like a G movie. What do you mean, see your arms? Like, what, what, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? So I say, so just understand, obviously this is reflecting a different mode of tzniyus, that a woman, woman used to keep her arms covered. So if she's weaving in the marketplace, and I guess she's lifting her arms, her arms become uncovered, that was considered to be a breach of modesty standards. This is the thing about Rav says, you know, I will say, what does it mean? She's weaving in the marketplace, and ultimately, again, she's weaving in a way where she's sitting with her legs spread apart. Now, she's clothed. She's clothed, but she's sitting with her legs spread apart, and the spindle is between her legs. So the idea is that she's sitting in a way that draws attention to her in an immodest fashion. And ultimately, she speaks with all men. She's flirting with young men. One time I was walking behind We saw there was an Arab woman, and she was, she was, she was going at it, weaving in the shuk, and ultimately, again, the spindle was, was opposite, her, her legs were spread apart, again, clothed, but her spindle was between the legs. When she saw us coming, she, she broke the spindle, and she threw it. 
or she, she was trying to engage them. Amrali, she said to me, Ulam, Havli Plach, young man, do me a favor and get for me, fetch me my spindle. Amr Abba Ukva Milsa. Rav Ukva said, Ah, oh, this is exactly what the Mishnah is talking about. My Amr Abba, Ravina Amr Tava Bishuk. So Ravina said, So according to the one approach, Ravina said that Rav Ukva said this was a case of a woman weaving in the marketplace. So the Gemara said, Ravana Amri Midavaris and call Adam Amr Abba. No, no, no. This was a case of a woman who speaks with all men. Rav Ukva, so I have to stop over here for today. But Lamaisa, again, we end off again with this incredible sugi. So again, these were all considered to be breaches in modesty. And because they're considered to be public breaches in modesty, therefore what? Their grounds for divorce, ultimately again forfeiture of the ksuba, to be ketin rabosai shkaya. All right, have a great day and a good chance, everyone. Wonderful to see everyone.